Welcome to Life Centered, a podcast about how looking to the natural world is impacting technology, society, and how we live our lives. I'm Tim McGee, and in this episode, Amelia Tracy and I spend some time to reflect on the past six episodes, and we also talk about the big trends we are seeing in life-centered design and the guests that we've interviewed. Please enjoy. Let's talk about our podcast. Yeah, so I'm really grateful that you have spent so much time and effort putting this together and that I get to kind of ride the wave. It's been a a total joy. I think for me, the fun part has been trying to figure out how to ask interesting questions. And Mm. and it's it's a different skill set between people you know and people you don't know. Oh, for sure, yeah. So I think that's one of the things that I'm excited that we're that we're doing is we're sort of also looking to forge new more conversations with people we don't know so that we can get to know them better and and invite them to talk about i don't know life-centered design and 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 what they're doing in the world what's been fascinating with the podcast is i'll ask questions during the podcast and then while i'm editing it and listening to it because i listen to it three or four times um afterwards Mm -hmm. i'm like oh man I really wasn't listening to a thing he was saying or she was saying because <laughs> I just moved on to the next question and had no, like there were so many things I could have followed up on, but I just ignored it. So I feel like th- that's been getting a little bit better trying to be aware of that and, you know, learning how to do this, this stuff, but it's, it, I, I really have enjoyed it. So I'm glad you're liking being part of the ride. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, you know, this is one of the things about technology that's so interesting, right? Because when you're talking to somebody in person, I think the majority of the way that we communicate is nonverbal, you know, and so you you have a totally different experience of having communication with people in person. And But when you remove the bodies, you know, you have to um, substitute a lot of that nonverbal communication with kind of how you take pauses and how you acknowledge what people have been saying, right? Because you can't nod into the phone and have them understand that you're nodding, right? Like how do you, how do you communicate well in a graceful way? That's not just like over, you know, talking over other people to, to do all those same things. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree. There's, it's a little awkwardness, <laughs> but I think that's on everybody's part. So it's okay. It's really hard to separate talking about nature and also having that be, you know, like I think it becomes a spiritual practice for most everybody. Um, mm. Having, you know, having this real heartfelt connection with planet and, and, you know, all the ways that it is genius and that we are part of its genius, you know, and how, um, there's a very real cliff right now in our kind of collective consciousness around acknowledging that the two, like having a recognition of this intelligence on earth as this higher be right? Like that's for me, that's the definition of God, right? <laughs> um, the system that we're a part of is God for me. Um, but like how, how our, our uncomfortableness, our discomfort with um, recognizing that, that, you know, work in biomimicry, work in biology, work, you know, with this planet um, directly is a spiritual path. I think that's interesting. But my, um, I was just talking with a friend this morning and she's been spending time in Japan and 
Uh, she's very familiar with biomimicry and design. And when she was telling uh, people in Japan about this combination of looking to nature and how we are part of nature and some of the values of, you know, that we want to build things that um, respond to and that we are part of nature, they all sort of nodded their heads and said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've been doing that for thousands of years. Like, that's that's what that's what it's all about. And, um, right, we know this. Yeah, we no, like, yeah, I'm welcome to the party. Right, you exactly. know, yeah. So, that, I just thought that was a funny observation that she made. That of course, there's all these other um, cultures, and I think, you know, there has it. It it reminds me of this influx of different ways of seeing the world. Um, coming from a sort of a Western perspective and then having Buddhism or um, Shintoism or, you know, um, yogic practices, um, different different ways of valuing nature or engaging with the natural world. And our role in that mm-hmm. seems to be a root of a lot of this design conversation. And, you know, one of the things that I... I think is really interesting that sort of clicked for me recently was when we were talking with Ben Mm. Um, and he and Ben from, if you're not familiar, Ben from episode four, I believe um, and Bureo skateboards. And what, what, what struck me about his work is that he was clearly thinking about the big picture from the beginning Mm. where he was looking at life cycle analysis and had a, an empathy for the world at, 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 at large. But then when we talked to him about it, he also had personal experiences with refugees that helped him form a, I think a, a, a really interesting empathy for people in positions where they're trying to make things work and they, they might not have the money. Like they might, they might be in a situation that's not, you know, of their doing, And they're trying the best they can. And I think the solution that Bureo came up with really required having a sense of empathy for both. Right. Right. That you had to have an empathy for the fishermen as well as for the ecosystem. And, and I think that to me is something I've been seeing in everybody we've been talking to Mm -hmm. that, that where they succeed and where they're making progress is when they get those two things to align, Mm -hmm. the sort of empathy for people and empathy for the greater whole. Yeah. I think for me, you know, just in talking with Ashin on the podcast, I, I really didn't recognize before the conversation, I guess I, I vaguely knew some of the impacts but I think he highlighted for me just what like a like a single law or or a regulation out of the U.S. means for global economies, mm-hmm. and so that impact that we do have and can have both as designers and as citizens and consumers, um, it, it's it really has started to gel a little bit more in my head than it, than it ever has before, um, how those are all connected. Oh Um, yeah. I mean, just for me in solar, like let alone in biomimicry, like mm -hmm. recognizing that the most expensive part of the projects are the modules and the modules are coming from Taiwan usually. Um, and 
You know, we've been, for you know, basically solar's only really been economically viable for the past eight years, six, seven years. Um, and the majority of that time, uh, we've been at trade war <laughs> for solar panels. And that's re- that's the main reason why prices have gone down so much. But but just recognizing how interconnected and dependent we are, and how if I don't fight for good sound solar policy in Massachusetts, despite having an extremely conservative administration right now, um, that is going to impact our national policy in terms of our buying power globally. You know, it, it just, it, the, the ripple effects of everything that we do in this country are so profound. And in so and it's just so much out there that, you know, who has time, right? Like, and, and that's sort of what Kathy, I think got, you know, just where she is right now and the things she's doing. Um, like, man, we're all moving really fast and just take a breath, yep. you know, how, how, how good would that feel to just take a breath and just reflect for a minute on some of these things. And so I do hope too, as we move forward, that we're able to talk to people who can help us do that. So help us, um, whether that's take local action or learn something globally, whether that's a scientist who's setting something really interesting that might have big impacts or a policy person or a business leader. So I, I'm really hoping that we're able to expand this out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, it matters just as much what um, the guy who may not be legal in this country who's picking whatever's needing to be harvested has to say about it as the guy who's, you know, on a Fortune 50 CEO track, you know, who might have an MBA, right? Like as many different perspectives as we can, I think if we can pull those together, we'll start to really start to understand the nuances of the patterns that are emerging, which for me is like, um, slow down, <laughs> right? Like the, the reality is, is that seeds in, in their nature, seeds have everything they need to become the full, the full embodiment of the plant that they, they are. They have all the collective intelligence in that seed. So we don't need to really work as hard to like, orchestrate this because it's all the intelligence exists <laughs> and it's self-organizing <laughs> you know like we don't have to do it's not us creating as much as as it is us allowing things to be created with the energy and the experiences that we have i think what actually i've been reading um <clears throat> florence scovel shin who is a 1920s thinker um thought thought leader kind of a woman um and one of the things that she talks about is like if you don't realize your full potential as a human like as the person that you are like if you ignore your talents and you don't bring your talents to the world like that's that's what um is eroding our progress Right, like not mm. actually fully living into who you are and feeling alive in who you are, you know, feeling good yeah. about who you are. I think that's brilliant. I love that. And uh, so I've been reading Benjamin Franklin's autobiography recently, nice. <clears throat> or just actually audiobook, uh, plug for Audible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you want to sponsor us? No, just kidding. <laughs> so the, the uh, but Ben Franklin's uh, 
book, what I, you know, in a lot of ways, he was a man of his times, right? Like, he would socially today be considered very, very weird uh, in terms of how he thought politically about, like, the Native Americans or policy things that he was doing or social systems. But what he did do is he, you know, and, and what I think is carried through is his focus on exactly what you just said, like, how can he improve himself all the time? And trying to help others do the same thing, and trying to help a whole country do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was his life's work was trying to set the course for the country and trying to create tools and vehicles and suggestions and ideas for how can we become ourselves? How can we create create the systems that that improve everybody and allow them to improve themselves? Yeah. And and for me, it's that's that what we're sort of walking around or talking around is, is consciousness, right? Like it's about recognizing that I'm better off if you're better off. And and what that means is I'm better off if I can be fully who I am without being ashamed or guilty or with any of that shitty stuff that we carry around. And I'm better off if you don't have any of that either, right? Like we will move quickly into a better state of being collectively and, and it has to be collectively. We can't do it on our own. If we can shed that stuff. I think we've also seen with all the people we've talked to how refreshing and regenerative nature is for them, how it helps them be creative or thoughtful. And so I've been wondering, you know, I think a lot of people use biomimicry or bioinspired design for innovation, for making, you know, better jet airplanes or bridges or cities. But how about improving ourselves Mm. and what what would that look like? How would you, you know, use whatever questions you're journaling on to to start that work? Okay, so here's the first thing that comes to mind is is there are, I think there are at least three central skill sets that I've found personally valuable in the last 10 years of doing biomimicry. And they are, it, you know, enhancing the power of observation. And so... That sounds pretty basic, but observation is actually a deeply impactful process where it can be observation with your eyes. You can learn how to draw. And if you sketch something, you see it differently than if you just looked at it or had a photograph of it. Um, You interact with it in a whole different way. Um, But the same thing is true for deepening your observation in different ways, like asking functional questions or imagining something, what it looked like in the past and in the future. Like, how is this going to age? What is its, is it changing shape? What is its relationship to the rest of the world? Those are all observational skills that I think um, the practice of biomimicry has enhanced. And, and by it's been shown that observation actually it's almost like meditation that it helps you focus. It helps you calm down that you're engaging with the world. You're literally engaged. You're, you're not passively just perceiving things that you're, you're actively looking. And that is something that's very healthy for our brains and stimulates us and helps us stay creative and energized and interested. And so I, I feel like, as one skill set, observation is something that I, I I think could be brought to people 
as a reflective point every day or as an activity or as a way to engage. Like in terms of maybe um, like concretely like sketching, like if, if it were a 21 day thing, you know, five minutes of sketching every day. I'd say sketching. And then there would also have to be like some imaginative play mm-hmm. piece. Um, because so often there's this, there's this, um, barrier of, well, I don't know what that mm. does. And, and that's, that just kills your creativity. It just kills your curiosity. A better thing is, well, imagine what it does do. You know, what if you're the only person who's ever seen this or will ever see it? You have a chance to sort of describe it, name it, talk about it in a new way. Ask um, it what it does, what, right? Yeah, ask it what it does. Exactly. Have empathy for it, you know, like really engage with it. And I I feel like that kind of activity um, is uh, beneficial. And and once you start doing a lot of it, you miss it when you stop Mm -hmm. doing it. So it's almost like, you know, you get a runner's high. I think you can get like an observer's high kind of like. Like people go out birding or they go out. So people go out and do this stuff because it feels good and they love it. And when you push yourself to engage in it a little bit, I think it can have multiple benefits to other parts of your life. Yeah, I totally Um, agree. I totally agree. I I love sketching and I I haven't done it really once since the immersion that I went to in March. (laughs) You know, like, I don't know. I feel like these things are so important and we have to start creating ways to hold ourselves accountable for the things that we really want. Uh, I think, you know, that I, I'm like, I do something called Kundalini yoga and um, a big, huge piece of the yoga is that you have a daily practice and it doesn't really matter, you know, that you do your full two and a half hours starting at four o'clock in the morning of chanting and different stuff. It matters that you, um, for for all intents and purposes, commit to loving yourself enough that you do something, even if it's only three minutes of a specific meditation, to to mm. to show your demonstrate to yourself that you are committed. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to take like. And so the three minute meditations sometimes are harder to do <laughs> than the two and a half hours, you know, because you you just you feel like you're in a pinch. But three minutes, you know, nobody actually cares about three minutes. Like everybody can get three minutes out of their day. Um, right. So you know, it's it's just it's that perseverance um, past the limits of what you think you're capable of when you feel like the whole world is against you and everything's really hard. You know, it's that it's finding that edge in various different places in your life and pushing past it because you have faith that you're not alone, you know? Um, and yeah, it's hard, but, um, but that's where community comes in for me is like recognizing that, you know, sometimes it's harder and sometimes it's easier, but usually it's easier for me at times that it's harder for other people. So you can start to play off of each other and encourage each other and, feel out how other people are doing it, get some tips from people who are doing it well. So if you had asked me 20 years ago what mm. the word empathy means, I don't know if I could tell you. And and it's never been a huge part, I don't mm-hmm. think, of scientific practice as the way it's taught. Uh, and one of the things that I think is interesting now, looking back at the scientists I know who are really creative and do great work is they, 
they have a deep empathy for what they're studying. Like, you know, even like the chemists or the, uh, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, I, you know, I talk to the molecules. Like, I think like the molecules. I, I want to, you know, that, that I'm, they have a deep, un, you know, intuitive empathy for the situation that things that aren't even people that aren't even animals that aren't, you know, animated have that they're able to form that. And I think that's an interesting human trait that we can do that. And I think it helps us tap into some really useful, creative uh, problem solving skills. And so in thinking about this, I'm, I'm also interested in these big challenges that are very hard to have empathy for like climate change or land use patterns of countries or, you know, things that seem so remote or so abstract that we're disassociated from them. And as a result, we just ignore them or we don't think that we can have an impact. And so we have a lack of empathy and, and that that's, that's a, that to me is a problem and it's a challenge for how do you connect that? And I feel like, part of the part of the challenge in designing any kind of solutions is that it has to be uh, a solutions for people that you have to have empathy for people but you also have to then have empathy for the world in a larger sense and so for me I'm I guess m- the pattern that I've been seeing is that those people who are m- making movement in the world are able to navigate that well so they're able to both have motivation for and empathy for the larger issues in the world as well as empathy for the people that are in those that are in the positions that have impact for example like Ashin had mentioned how he is very focused on mm-hmm. um, the people and the networks and specifically he's he also has a lot of empathy for the climate that they come from within a corporate culture and what they can actually change in their daily jobs because he can relate to that but he also understands the big system and he has empathy for you know that that what we need to do is you know remove these really horrible practices of mining and material waste and all of these larger issues that he's trying to solve but he knows to solve them he also needs to solve the human element and that's a wrap on episode seven i hope you enjoyed it as much as we clearly did and as always thank you for listening all the way to the end life-centered podcasts can now be found on itunes and if you liked what you heard it really does help us out to give us a rating make a few comments or share the link with those you think might enjoy our podcast until next time this is tim saying over and out